Hi everyone, this is International Society of Hypertension Podcast. I'm Associate Professor Francine Marques from Monash University, Australia, and my co-host is Dr. Augusto Montesano from the University of Glasgow, Scotland. Welcome back, everyone, to uh, our podcast. And today we'll be speaking with Dr. Francisco Laurindo from Brazil. Francisco graduated in medicine at the University of Sao Paulo and is the director of the Vascular Biology Research Group and professor at the Heart Institute uh, in Brazil, Sao Paulo, also called INCOR. His work focuses on understanding mechanisms and regulatory processes underlying the production of oxidant, oxidant stress or oxidant species in vascular cells and tissues and their physiological implications for vascular remodeling in disease. Francisco is a member of the Brazilian Academy of Sciences, where he's part of its board of directors and has participated in many study advisory committees from fund funding agencies in Brazil, such as CNPq, CAPES, and FAPESP. Francisco has also been a council member of the Society for Free Radical Biology and Medicine and was elected as vice chair and chair of the Gordon Research Conference on Knox family NADPH oxidases. In addition to being a very successful Brazilian researcher with an outstanding international career, Francisco has mentored and trained a great number of students and early career researchers. And you'll be talking, and we will be talking to him today about his experiences as a mentee and a mentor. Francisco, thank you so much for being here with us, and it's a great pleasure to have you. It's my pleasure to be able to share some of my experience with the young skaters and also with other colleagues. Thank you very much for the invitation. So just to uh, get our uh, interview started, can you tell us a little bit more about your story and how did you get involved with studying like hypertension or cardiovascular diseases? and your involvement with like a scientific society? Yeah, uh, during my medical years, I started to become interested in mechanisms of disease. And uh, I always found myself involved with the pathophysiology of medical conditions. And I started to discover that was a kind of epiphany I started to discover that I could help patients in a very distinct way uh, by studying the mechanisms of their disease and trying to uncover new pathophysiological pathways or uh, new treatments that might help them. And uh, I, after a while, I started to go very deeply on that. That was after my residency. I decided I would like to try to make my career. And then I went out to the US and did my training in basic sciences, physiology. Then when I came back, I started a group of research group. That was a basic research group, but with a significant clinical interaction in the Heart Institute. And over the years, uh, I've been increasingly bigger uh, and increasingly more basic because uh, you start to go after the mechanisms and uh, under some aspects, I might consider myself an 
endangered species because uh, I'm a clinician scientist. And I would strongly advise people that this is a very important career path. Not for everyone, of course, but it's a very important bridge between basic science and uh, clinical science. Just in a word, uh, I think a clinician, a clinician scientist is not a clinician that knows a little bit more basic science than the basic scientist, and nor a basic scientist that knows a little bit of clinics. It's really a bridge person that's able to think well between both fields. And I don't make myself any limit or any label. I don't say, oh, this is too much biochemistry for me. This is too much molecular biology for me. Uh, I try to always go as deep as possible in the basic science and to interact with colleagues that can help me or can join efforts to understand mechanisms of disease. That's like very interesting, Francisco. So how how uh, how easy was for you to let's say transition to to the basic science to uh, fundamental science? Well, that's not easy at all. Uh, that requires a continuous effort to be dissatisfied with what you know. Uh, if you don't really want to stay in your comfort zone, you have to really every time focus on new avenues, read a lot to get understanding, uh, be curious, uh, get involved with other fields and don't limit your knowledge. That requires effort. And sometimes uh, it's difficult to read some basic aspects because uh, you lack the basic foundations, but then you have to go back to the basic foundations. And this is uh, somewhat difficult because it requires time, and then you have many, many other obligations to do, but you cannot cut that. If you cut that, you are cutting the real reason why uh, clinician scientists should be doing uh, basic research. Because this sense, uh, we are unique, we have unique ability to uh, help uh, understand disease mechanisms. And just like uh, now uh, reversing the, the roles, like what advice would you give to uh, fundamental, like basic scientists that would like to apply more, to make their research a little bit more translational or bring the clinical side to their research? What ad advice would you give to them? Yeah, that's a very interesting question because I always listen to people saying uh, from bad to bad side, but much less frequently I see from bad side to bad, uh, from bad side to bad. So, so the backward uh, is, is more, more difficult. So I think that both ways have to, to be uh, traveled. So the basic scientist also has to interact with clinician colleagues. And for us clinicians, uh, it seems kind of a, a matter of fact that everybody would understand clinical science almost appears easy, but it's not. 
So for the non-clinician, uh, they really cannot figure out several aspects of the basic science that we take for granted. So it's very important that uh, there is an interaction. So the, I think the single word is interaction. So we find that. Because a lot of people just think that like getting a sample from a human uh, pay, or from a patient or any human subject is already like clinical uh, work, but it doesn't, right? So it's, it's yes, that is true. It's much more difficult than that. And uh, just uh, saying something else. When I trained for basic research in the late eighties, early nineties. Uh, clinical science was a kind of a merging discipline. From I, I mean, sounds strange when I say that, but actually, we had nothing that we have today of those large clinical trials and how clinical, very large clinical trial is conducted. The statistical science that has uh, grown, grown exponentially, and all the procedures that we do for clinical trials. So actually, when I graduated from residence, I felt like uh, I could do most clinical research that was done by that day. Because that was not difficult to understand uh, or to master. But nowadays, I think uh, clinical science has evolved to be a very complex issue. So you really have to talk. For example, a few years ago, I got involved in a clinical study. And I really, I never talked so much to other colleagues, uh, in this case, clinician colleagues, as, as them, because I had a lot of doubt of how to do this and how to do that. And are, are we really doing the right thing? Because in the clinical study, you have to plan very well, and then you have to adhere to that plan. In basic science, you will move all the time, because after one result, either keep the direction or you switch the direction. But uh, in clinical studies, no, uh, that's not what we do. You just have to follow the plan. So you have to plan very well. But clinical studies starts wrong, it end up wrong. Mm. And Francisco, like, just like changing a little bit. So as I mentioned, I, I could see in your uh, bias cache that you have participated in many different societies and uh, funding agencies, like committees and funding agencies. How do you think that was important or that's important for someone to advance their career? And how do you, uh, how, how that helped you to, to move forward your career? Yeah, I, I think that's a very, very good thing. Uh, and, uh, absolutely same. It's very important for the young to get involved in the societies, their peers, presenting papers, and uh, having their uh, papers discussed with as many people as possible. Uh, however, everything that's a good thing uh, can be a bad thing if it's too much or inappropriately allocated. So, there has to be a good balance between the time you devote to both things. And then uh, as time goes by, you, you start to get involved with the organization of uh, meetings or 
uh, internal institutional committees and uh, society committees. And you must be careful to balance the activities. Otherwise, you just die because uh, you are consumed by, by time. So uh, one very important word you have to learn is no, 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 I cannot. Yeah? It's a very important word early in the career. I, I always say that. Uh, remember, no, not nitric oxide. No. <laughs> Uh, and uh, this is important because otherwise you die uh, in your career to get too much involved. And uh, there is a insidious mechanism that one must avoid because those things sound very time consuming and very active, uh, but they are kind of easy uh, when you confront to your search at the page, the difficult results you face, the antibody that doesn't work, the experiments that don't go as you plan. Uh, and then there is an insidious mechanism that you kind of procrastinate your research by getting involved more and more committees. That's bad. That's a, a very uh, destructive so you have to avoid that. Uh, and when you get senior, uh, like me, uh, I think that participating in societies is very important because it's a part of contribution to society. I see that. So I, I am very much uh, involved in the Brazilian academy of sciences. This was very, very important. For example, during the pandemics, we had to do a lot of applications to try to disseminate the right signs about the, the pandemics and try to coordinate these efforts uh, with authorities. And uh, I also, I'm also very much involved in uh, FAPESP research, that's our local research agency. So I belong to the senior advisory committee. So one day of my week, actually now more than one day because it's online. So it's almost every day I have some things to do with. Confess that I, I go one whole day of my week to FAPESP to sort out projects and, and, and to send the reports and to interview people who mm -hmm. want to advise and uh, so many things to do and it's all exhausting, but it's uh, satisfying because I think it's a service to our group. It's important that we give back because it's a way to support science that's uh, unique. Right? Only researchers can support science this way, otherwise the agencies don't uh, stay uh, stagnant. And uh, uh, in addition, I think that it's important to sustain scientific societies like the Recently, I was elected as the president of the Society for Theoretical Biology and Medicine. I'll start in 2022. So uh, it's a service also that I see. Of course, you look at that and you say, oh, it's a good prestige and uh, you, you get a good visibility. That's true. Uh, I, 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 don't, I will not deny that, but that's not the reason. Uh, 
the reason is that you get satisfied by doing some service to the community and at the same time you get involved in the community so it's uh, important to do that but again uh, in every moment you have to balance uh, you want to do too much of this you will probably lose uh, some of the quality of your research so you have to Careful with that. So, Francisco, like when we think about now mentoring and uh, which is one aspect of what our committee does at the International Study of Hypertension, uh, if you need to define mentorship with one word, which word would be that? I think altruism is a very important word for me. Thanks. Single that one. Of course, there are many others, but I would single that one. Perfect. And do you think the mentoring is important? Oh, absolutely. It's, uh, I, I cannot conceive being a scientist without mentoring because uh, science is all about generating, communicating knowledge. But to whom? I mean, what's the point of you staying in the lab and uh, having some? Let's say hiring people and they do the work for you and then you publish. Uh, that's very little return to society. I think the return to society has to involve that you build the big field of knowledge and then you train people and then that can irradiate the future generations the knowledge. So you are part of a kind of a I see mentoring as a part of a big, big engine, and then you are just one of the small pieces of that, but uh, an essential piece. If you remove that piece, then many other pieces will not work properly. So uh, it's important, absolutely important. And and when in your career did you realize that like uh, that you needed a mentor? Yeah, when, when I, I told you about that epiphany I had, uh, that was during my residency, I said, wow, I can do my career in basic science. And uh, I had to acknowledge that my mentor for that kind of thinking, which was Dr. Protasio Davos, uh, was my role model to start my career. That because then they realized that, okay, you need a role model to mirror yourself. And Dr. Davos still, uh, we have a lot of contact and we talk, we collaborate, we keep being close friends. He works at the artist still. And still, uh, of course, now he's not my mentor as he used to be. But he's, he's still a role model uh, in several aspects. Actually, role models are not to be copied. Uh, they are models. Models are references. So uh, you say, oh, you can do this. Maybe you, you will do exactly like that, but maybe you will not do exactly like that. But the role models are very important for that. So uh, uh, I think that mentoring is uh, an important way to show that to people. 
then one way uh, that you realize you need the makers when you you start uh, to have meetings yourself, then uh, you put everything into perspective. Just like when you have children, if you have children, you start to put your own father and other perspective. So mentor is more or less like that. When you start to have a mentee, you put your your whole career in perspective. You say, oh, I behave like that. This guy is doing this. And uh, it's very interesting to, to keep that. And then you discover one thing that uh, mentoring is really, really rewarding experience. Mm -hmm. You don't do that for your, by your, for your own satisfaction. You, you have to do that uh, to the main piece satisfaction. Because uh, if you think of nature, nature uh, flows from the parents to the sons and daughters, let's, let's call it like that. Uh, and science flows from the mentor to the main piece, not to not backwards, but Actually, there is a backward flow, and that's very, very rewarding. But you don't do that as a kind of a uh, end point to our career. That's a very important point. I, I cannot think of my career without mentoring, but uh, I think it's very important that the result was uh, to the mentees, not for the And and, and we can see like you have mentored and uh, supervised like many uh, students and uh, senior uh, staff researchers as well. So how uh, how how would you describe your uh, mentoring style? It's not very easy to think of, of how you mentor because I think the mentoring style has to some degree to adapt to each case and uh, with time you start to think to see that some tricks that work with one mentee does uh, do not work with the other <laughs> right. and uh, but uh, one thing i have one uh, principle that if you act as a sergeant as i call you have you will have soldiers in your lab so uh, so if you keep uh, giving orders, uh, people will just do the order. orders, as you say. And I, I know some labs that have this kind of style. Uh, that's completely opposed to what I have. I try never to have that. I really need people that act as collaborators, and we are together in that. So uh, I always say, don't, be, don't bring me problems, bring me solutions. Uh, Proposing solutions, and then we will discuss solutions. We will not discuss the problem. And uh, all, all the students uh, always they learn that, and then they come and they we get very very productive and interesting and pleasant discussions because we are discussing solutions and oh we should do this and not uh, try to polish them. So I I, I don't try to polish. To act as a uh, I try to 
built a relaxing atmosphere. I think our life is very, very relaxing. And uh, people, I, I see their faces that they really like to be there. So they, they stay there, they work, and they laugh, and they uh, concentrate on the experiments very seriously, but at the same time, they are relaxed. And that, I think, is a very productive environment. And finally, one crucial word that is freedom. So uh, I think you have to really give a lot of space for the people, or so they they are free to think and uh, to have ideas. And I I am very very open to new ideas. And, that, that is fantastic because people come up with new ideas. Sometimes they, they bring what we had scheduled plus some new experiment. Oh, I had this idea and, uh, and uh, I, saw, I saw this new paper and then I did this way and, and also compared with the other way and we got this way solutions and uh, advances and people becoming really able to judge so it's so it's good. So like it's uh, ensure that you you create like an environment that all of them can uh, thrive and become good scientists. Yes, that's that's exactly the spirit of mentorship, and uh, that's how you grow together with your students. I love that, and Francisco. So. What so now, like if you look in the other side, so like from the mentee's side, what kind of traits or how do you think a mentee should uh, what a mentee should have in order to take advantage of a good mentorship? Well, uh, of course, the mentee should be very much involved in research, the, the lab. So, if, if a mentee cannot get really involved. And uh, so a few meetings sometimes ask, how much uh, time do you expect me to get involved in a daily, let's call something, when they arrive at the lab? And I say, uh, 24 hours a day. Uh, because uh, uh, when you are here, you are working. When you go home, you still think of that. And when you are taking a shower, you are thinking on your experiment, and when you are exercising, you have solutions to your experiment. And that's the fun part of it. And that's the real uh, spirit of doing science. So a mentee should get involved. And uh, if that does not happen, there may be something wrong. So either uh, the mentee is not at the right place, or the environment is not very good, and uh, that brings us to the second point. So first, the mentee should get involved, and the second point, the mentee should really choose carefully where he or she wants to go, because it's not straightforward. Don't choose the first place that appears in your uh, front. It's, it's not advising to look at the lab, Look at how people feel 
the lab, look at the results those people got previously, and then uh, talk to the mentor, interview, and uh, take your decisions. Uh, so think carefully. Uh, don't, don't really think the first opportunity that comes up. And uh, what I expect from the mentor, from the mentee also, is I, I always tell them the, the, the four Ds, four Ds, uh, uh, dedication, uh, discipline, discernment, and then, actually it's not a D, but an E. Uh, if you have discipline, dedication, and discernment, then you have the intent, that's the, that brings research. That's the encampment brought by the science. And uh, if you don't have the discipline for that, uh, then you don't really make it. Uh, I, I recently heard an interview by the Marathon's world record holder, and uh, he he says he said one thing that was very very interesting to me, and he said the only thing that gets you free is discipline. Uh, so uh, it's, uh, I try to now tell that to my students and actually to myself because it's very very hard for us to as seniors to have a discipline. We have so many things to do, and we have to carefully do the things we don't like to. Do. So, um, so just to continue what, what you're saying, uh, so you're talking about like the environment and like how uh, a trainee should uh, or a mentee should be really not choose the first place that they go or the interview, but like they really need to uh, go for a place that they feel like would be the best for them. So what would be your advice in how to identify that best place, how to identify like a good training environment? Yeah, I think uh, the best advice is look at people who got out of that place and where they are now and what are they doing and what's their style, uh, what's their relationship with the prior lab that were seeking. And very, very important, talk to the people from the lab. So not, not only to the mentor, to the proposed mentor, but talk to the people on the lab and feel like uh, how these uh, people feel about the lab. Of course, most people will say, okay, oh, this, this is a nice lab, but you can feel like people is relaxed, is really enjoying the, the environment. And uh, this is one way to approach to start things. The other thing is, Look what exactly that lab does, uh, and uh, does it match uh, the degree of uh, advance, uh, the degree of novelty that I want to put to my career? Because there are some new things that uh, need to be followed, while other labs are more conservative and we do things that are a little, uh, not, let's say, not more of the same, but uh, very conservative. 
So uh, both both can be very good. Uh, it depends on your style. So if you are forward-thinking investigator, you should choose a lab that really thinks like that. Mm -hmm. And in terms of like, uh, so when you're searching for a lab or a supervisor or a mentor, uh, you may find some people intimidating or uh, if you are a shy person, you may find everybody intimidating. So what would you say for uh, to people that find difficult to talk to people? Yeah, that, that's, that's an important question. Uh, some, some labs are really, uh, let's, I, I don't like to say intimidating, but they, they have a style that it's kind of too harsh, not very polished. And then you have to look uh, what is the origin of that feeling, and, and you work that feeling in your inner self to say, okay, sometimes uh, that may be one quality of the supervisor, uh, which I I copied that from a book. I, then I could never find it back again, so I, I cannot cite the author. And he described a city in which everybody was kind of harsh because they were too oldest to be gentle. And, <laughs> and then I, I know some investigators that are so honest and they are not gentle. Uh, they, they are just kind of harsh. And I think if that's the problem, you can, I, I can bet you can get used to that because uh, persons are physically good and there is nothing wrong with that. Uh, now, if the style of the intimidation is due to authoritarian uh, positions, then it's more difficult to, to get used to that. And I think the VTE should really consider looking for another maybe the style is too authoritarian and uh, the PT may not get used to that. So there are different styles of intimidation, but in any case, <coughs> the, the PT should approach uh, with uh, what I like to say a cool spirit, uh, don't get too bothered by what sometimes the, the person says and that's just a way of learning uh, it's a kind of maturation mm. of your personality so, so it's like if you play like in a pers like into perspective of like a conference how do you approach how do you think like how, what's your advice for people to approach people so if a phd student or a young researcher wants to talk to a senior researcher during a conference how 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 do you approach someone yeah first don't get afraid uh, most senior investigators are very very kind to young investigators because they were uh, in that position first so uh, the vast majority of older investigation investigators will receive the very well, but uh, sometimes, as I, I said, because cultural issues or style, they are kind of uh, risky or harsh. 
and uh, that complicates a little bit, but that's not should not be an obstacle. So you approach professionally. That's the first approach has to be the most professional possible, uh, not cold, but professional. Say, well, look, I I am doctor, blah blah blah. I'm, I'm looking for a position, and, or I like to. I became very interested in our search, and uh, I'm looking for a position, and I'd like to know what uh, options you have. I am sure that most senior investigators will buy this because, uh, first of all, everybody likes that you are interested in their, their search. Second, because, okay, this guy may be a very good student, so does this my function to, mm -hmm. to help? So that's one one has to be done. Perfect. Like, so now changing a little bit to uh, our last topic of the interview, which is like diversity and inclusion, which is like a big topics now that uh, we're discussing. Uh, so what do you think is the biggest barrier for around like diversity and inclusion? Uh, how do you think we can change that in hypertension or cardiovascular research? Yeah, thanks for this question. This is very important. I think this is really a big issue now, and that's not by chance. I think this is really important because diversity uh, is a very important issue for getting science, multidisciplinary, or getting multiple fields of science, uh, and getting uh, base with society. So, not only Diversity can help science, but science can, can help diversity because science is uh, really very neutral and apolitical uh, discipline, uh, or at least it should be. And, uh, the scientist should be a person that really has a global mind, mindfulness, uh, really bothers about people really cares about people and uh, he or she, the scientist, uh, should really be inclusive of uh, everyone. And, uh, that's how, how science is all about. So uh, science by itself has a diversity mind inserted. So it's, it's very important. I cannot conceive science is sectarian or doesn't really speak about that uh, diversity at every level, be it uh, geographical or be it uh, uh, gender or uh, sexual orientation or whatever. So uh, uh, it's very important. <coughs> and another issue that I I would like to point is that we should educate uh, people for being diverse because we should infuse them with confidence. So I, what I see here, especially in Brazil, I see that many 
one important factor for lack of diversity in Brazil uh, is economical factors. So over the that has important ties with the racial issues, uh, etc. And it's very important that the educators insert in the people, the poor people or the people with other racial origins, that they can do it. Because uh, right now I see that they lack confidence that they can get accepted by the rest of the society. So they are so excluded that they don't feel like they are going to be accepted. So the first thing is they should get confidence that they will uh, be part of society. They are as much part of society as anyone else. And uh, they can do it. Uh, that's a, a way of education. So in our education activities, we should really infuse people with that confidence. That's very important to help diversity. And of course, we should accept uh, everyone at the lab. And I, I, I don't like to say uh, not, not only respect, I don't like to say respect, because respect sounds like a kind of a tolerance. We should not be tolerant. We should really uh, bring together those people. It's not, not only tolerance. And everyone all the it's, it's also like a, one of the things that we were discussing in one of the podcasts uh, was like how much science has uh, is uh, reaching out to those um, people we need. So as you mentioned, there is a huge disparity in terms of like education. And uh, unfortunately, just like a few that can have uh, the high uh, education are the ones that move on to science or stuff like that. So and people like should or could be thinking more on ways to reach out to other um, demographics, like students or professionals, and then open more to them, and give them a chance. Yeah, that's interesting to say because even in our lab, we we receive people that sometimes started from very humble origins and. We had to really help them to fight the poster syndrome because they they don't have sometimes self-confidence to realize that they are very, very intelligent sometimes, they are very, very capable, they are good enough to do what they can do. And we have to repeatedly tell them, look, you are good enough, you, you can do it. And uh, it's, it's an important part of training, I think, to realize that some people are excellent, excellent, but they lack confidence sometimes. Uh, you have to teach them uh, this kind of confidence, not uh, undue confidence, the real confidence that comes from the qualities that they do have. And Francisco, like, so now like there's a big discussion about like women uh in uh, in research and so like in the international side of hypertension created the women in hypertension research committee that's there like to foster uh an environment for uh mentorship and help like a form of help for women to progress their careers 
because the data shows that as the as you're getting senior, more women leaves science. So do you have any advice for women in hypertension or women in research? Well, first of all, get confidence. So every bias indication that eventually has, uh, let's say, harmed them during their development has to be eliminated. So the mentor, mentors should help with that uh, if that is the case. Uh, so on the other hand, it's a uh, very important that they have the support. For example, uh, if they want to have children or during the, this stage of life, uh, it's, it's very important to create mechanisms to help them go through this. And it's, it's again important that you are supportive and uh, force the societies to create paradigms. For example, in our agency, we are now uh, in many, many agencies in the world, research agencies. Uh, a woman got a license, for example, for maternity leave, uh, that is uh, taking into account her evaluation, because that's very, that uh, that she didn't have the same chance as uh, other people who did have that, uh, and get get in the, in the eye for many women that may not have discovered themselves yet. That's very important. I do that still. Sometimes we have undergrads that start the lab, and then you see that. Women are sometimes a little shy because maybe they, they had a bias during their education. So they had to eliminate that during their training. So it's very important. And of course, the, the affirmative actions of great women committees and uh, other types of uh, equalization committees, they are very important. Research has shown that they. Of course, I have a dream that one day uh, we might not need those affirmative actions anymore. Maybe, uh, but that's, I think it's going to be a long time. Yet. So, as you said, it's, it's not only to hire the youngs, but to uh, help the gender balance all along the careers. So that's a kind of decades. Uh, effort to balance the scientific environment, yeah. And Francis, just like changing a little bit, so I remember what I wanted to ask you. Uh, so I was in a conference, like in a Brazilian, like the Brazilian Society of Hypertension uh, conference where I gave like a talk uh, about career or how to use societies to improve your career. And one of the questions uh, that I got and I thought was interesting is, how uh, that's specific for Brazil. So, but I'm going to make general for like a third world country. So how, uh, what advice you give to a, research, a young researcher that's in Brazil or any other 
country that doesn't have uh, the same access to science that other top countries have to have an international career. So can you tell us a little bit like your, like how did you manage to have, to be successful not only in Brazil, but also in internationally? That's a very important question. One, one thing is to, to really, again, help to infuse confidence and uh, pride to those uh, young people who they should not feel ashamed for being uh, from a humble origin or from not having uh, had a training. Uh, the, the other issue is that's important. The other issue that is important is to help them to overcome their deficiencies in education. Sometimes they come up, they are very capable people, but their basic education was not as good as should have been. And then uh, if we detect that, we have to help them to overcome that. And many people can do it. Many can do it. Uh, but for the young researchers here, they have to learn especially how to associate with other best people. So especially outside the country. So we should not be shy to get alliances with other people from everywhere to discuss uh, science, to go to their labs, to get trained outside, to be, let's say, <clears throat> willing to get out of the comfort zone. This is very important. One thing I there are not many things I forbid in my lab, but one thing I forbid is uh, that we say, when we receive a paper that was uh, not accepted, for example, that we say, oh, this is because we are from Brazil or from the third world that they keep treating us. I don't like that. I think we, we should not think this way because this can perpetuate the stigma. What we should do is what can I do to get better? And what was really the spirit of these criticisms that we can take? Because there's when we receive a paper, there's always something good to take from that. So what can you take from that? Okay, sometimes there are some uh, harsh comments and some comments that you can delete. Those ones you just delete from your mind. But the, there are always some good ones, so let's take the good ones. And if you have a positive attitude, uh, you are always growing, and small steps at a time get better. Uh, that's my advice to the researchers that get into the environment. And finally, of course, be resilient. You really have to be uh, hard skin, thick skin. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you go this way, oh, this. It work, go the other way, and uh, uh, you do some kind of things, and they don't really work as, as you planned. And finally, in my case, uh, I think I can help uh, by being part of institutions like uh, research agencies or Brazilian Academy of Sciences, for example. 
because that is a big way to collectively foster the science in the country. So there are many ways that we can do to overcome this and the science. And I think Brazil has done very well over the years, despite all the lack of financing and the, the most difficult problems we have. I think we have improved a lot in many, many places, and I've seen tremendous improvement in the quality of research in, in our country. So I think every country can do it, every place can do it. It's, it's really kind of having a positive mind uh, and going up in it. And, and just to finish that, our interview, this is like, what about, uh, well, COVID happened, uh, the pandemic is still happening. So do you have like any ideas of how our community can do better to support the junior researchers that got hit hard by the COVID-19 pandemic? Yeah. Yeah, that's a very important issue because uh, they were really hit hard. Of course, uh, when you think of a group, uh, you, you always think of a mass production. They, uh, this thing that is not going well, but this is going well, so at the end, you will kind of balance things. But that's not what you asked. You asked about the individual that was hit hard. And, uh, so I think we have to be very, very uh, approaching. Very, very understanding of that, that people to approach to try to really make for the most time. But at the same time, one thing is you cannot wait for solutions to happen. You have to go after the solutions. So uh, really uh, have to find alternative ways to scientific solutions and to career uh, trainings and uh, so we the best advice i say is look at each case individually because it's everyone has one specific problem and one specific uh, solution there is no uh, one size fits all for everyone and actually very individualized so, Francisco, just like to finish by saying thank you very much for spending time with us and uh, and answering our, our questions. And I hope you enjoyed as much as I did, and I think everybody will. Thank you. I, I really enjoyed talking to you and uh, sharing a little bit of my experience. And I hope this uh, helps people to think their careers and to role as scientists and to bring uh, our science together and uh, rewarding environment. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to our interview. If you'd like more tips on mentoring, subscribe to our podcast for more interviews with senior and emerging leaders. Stay safe, open-minded and kind.